M&K Talk YA now presents The Raven King Part 2 of The Raven Cycle by Maggie Steve Otter. MNK Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Kitty Bradford. And this is our Young Adult Fiction Podcast. And this week we are discussing the finale of The Raven Boys. It's called The Raven Cycle by Maggie Steve Otter, and we read the final part of the final book, which is called The Raven King. And we also read some short stories. So Opal oh, yes. Was was the longest one, and there were also two little holiday excerpts. I don't know if you read those or not, but since oh yeah, Christmas mm-hmm. will be next week after we post, it felt very appropriate. <laughs> it sure did, and they were just really cute little like vignettes almost. Yeah, they were like less like a page or two maybe, and mm-hmm. yeah, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> let's. I have a question for you. Okay. So the series is over. All this stuff went down. Did the book end the way you thought it was going to end? I think I had gotten to a place where I had so few expectations because everything just happens like rant. Like so much stuff came out of the blue that I started being like, I can't predict anything in this book. (laughs) I would say that we were waiting for like the Gainsey kiss death thing to happen. And that was kind of similar to what I thought, although I didn't think Cape's water would die to save Gainsey, but I thought there'd be like a loophole. Mm -hmm. But... I don't know. A lot of it was just like, I, I just like stopped having expectations. <laughs> <laughs> well, the part that I totally saw coming was when they finally get into the tomb of the Raven King mm-hmm. of Glendor and he's dead. Like they just see his skeleton. Like he's not sleeping. There's nothing to wake up and they try to wake the bones and nothing happens. And Gainsey realizes that he was never asleep there's not gonna be a favor that part I totally saw that coming like I did not think in my mind that they were actually gonna find this king sleeping that they were gonna wake him up and he was gonna grant him a wish like because the whole book the whole series it seems is like what it's telling you is like it's about this journey right it's about the quest itself not about finding your the thing you're questing for and so I was not surprised by that at all I think I would say I wasn't surprised that it wasn't what they thought it would be, but based on all the other things we found underground and all the magic we had seen, I was a little bit disappointed too, or not disappointed in like the mm-hmm. story, but I kind of felt like they did when they discovered that, like I I was expecting a little yeah. bit more. It was kind of sad that it was like so just an ordinary tomb kind of thing. It was a little bit sad. I loved that um, it was... Noah, who actually told Gainsey, it's because yes. of Glendor. Yeah, that you'll, you're you're you will live because someone else is dying. And he thought it was Glendor who was saying that, but yeah, it was it was Noah the whole time. I loved that. I was not seeing that coming. I was waiting because I throughout this book was Noah starting to lose his cool, um, or mm-hmm. the series, I guess. He did keep saying things like, "It's not time yet. It's not time yet," or like, "I have to wait before mm-hmm. I'm ready to go." So I was kind of curious what that was going to be but I thought it was just him being like scared or like 
wanting to know his friends are okay, not like he had something to do. And it was almost like it happened, like we always say like time is circular in this, and it was almost like Noah died again completely this time Mm -hmm. so that Gainsey could live. Yeah. It was almost like he died twice. Yeah. His physical body and his soul or whatever, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. I really liked that too. But then it also, so then I had a question because Glendor is dead, so technically he's not He's not asleep. So he's not one of the three sleepers. So who were the three sleepers? I was actually thinking about that too. The demon for one, for sure. Yeah, and that's the one we weren't supposed to wake. Then there's one we are supposed to wake. And I'm not sure that we that? ever woke anybody that we were on purpose. We didn't wake anyone because <laughs> even Gwenlian was not asleep. Yeah. He was awake the whole time. So it's like there was really just one sleeper that they woke up and they shouldn't. And it was the one that they weren't supposed to wake up. So I was kind of disappointed in that there wasn't like three sleepers that we came across. And I think I would have been OK if the one that they were like, we're not sure about the third one. You know, they said basically like yeah like if we had never seen that sleeper i'd maybe be okay with it but i agree the fact that they were told there's one you should wake up or you're supposed to wake up and we're not sure who that is feels like a plot hole i agree because even if let's say it was gwenlian even though she technically wasn't asleep she didn't do anything that was like oh crucial that you woke her up yeah she like hidden trees and ate mayonnaise and you know, did a lot of silly stuff, but I wouldn't say she was, like, crucial to the plot. Yeah. Unless, well, was her dad somehow sleepy? Well, no, because these are, like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I think that was confusing. I did read a theory, though, that I thought was kind of interesting. Oh, okay. The theory was that Gainsey actually is the Raven King, and that he is... Like a metaphor for Glendor. Okay. Which I thought was kind of interesting because if you remember, like a lot of times there's people or animals who see him and they start saying, The Raven King, make way for the Raven King. Yep. And they always say that around Gainsey. And so, so I guess whenever the, um, when Mara and Kawa were talking about the three sleepers, um, they pick three cards to represent the three sleepers and it's death the empress and the devil so the devil is the demon mm-hmm. the empress could be Gwenlian, and then death is the third one which makes sense because glendor is actually dead uh-huh but whenever gainsey pulls the card to represent himself he gets death hmm. which i thought was kind of interesting and the the, ca- the card itself is a skull with a king's crown so i don't know i thought that was kind of interesting like a, a, a cool theory. And then I guess Kala specifically tells Blue that it's her responsibility to wake up one of the sleepers and they think it's Glendor. So Blue is told, you are the one to wake up Glendor. I don't remember that happening. Do you? I don't, no, I don't remember Blue being told. I don't either, but I, this is what this theory says. Okay. And then um, at the end of The Raven King, she touches Gainsey's face and she whispers, wake up. Okay. So she does wake him up. I guess I could I could see Gainsey being a sleeper. I don't know if I follow everything in that theory a hundred percent, but I could I could see him dying but not fully dying, being brought back to life, counting as waking a sleeper a little bit. So maybe he is the third sleeper. Maybe, but I still feel like it wasn't clear enough. I agree. So here's another question I had, speaking mm-hmm. of Gainsey dying. 
I don't remember Blue telling Gainsey that she knows he's going to die or Gainsey telling Blue that he figured out he's going to die. But then they just both, like, I know they both, I remember Gainsey being, like, internally being aware that he was probably going to die this year. Mm -hmm. But I don't remember it, like, becoming public knowledge that he knew. And then they were just referencing it later, like, oh, yeah, well, we all know I have to die. (laughs) Like, it was just understood, like. He knew? Yeah, because I thought it was like a big thing to keep it a secret. And then all of a sudden it was just like talked about. And I was like, wait, did they have a big reveal that I missed? (laughs) I didn't miss that too, if they did. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I I did like that scene where like they finally kiss and they realize that, well, I guess it's when the demon possesses Adam and then he's like attacking people and he's like becoming a weapon. And it's kind of interesting because at the very beginning, Adam had that vision um, when they first went into Caveswater, that Gainsey was dying because of him, and it was somehow his fault. Mm-hmm. So I kind of liked that at the end he became a weapon, and that was when Gainsey was like, "Listen, I need to sacrifice myself right now." And it yeah. was kind of because of Adam that he made that decision. And so I kind of I thought it was interesting that Adam's vision kind of came true in a way. Yeah, all their visions kind of came true in a way, I guess. But also. Didn't Ronan say that the tree wasn't a future-predicting tree? It was like a nightmare tree? Mm-hmm. So that was kind of interesting. Because you would think in the first book when Blue went in there and saw her and Gainsey wanting to kiss or whatever, she had no feelings for Gainsey yet. So That's true. it's kind of interesting that that would be her nightmare, not like kissing Adam or something. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. I also liked all this stuff about um, like when Piper was controlling the demon and every time she made a wish or like asked the demon to do something part of caves water became unmade yeah and i loved the idea of like people becoming unmade and that was really scary because isn't that what happened to ronan's mother yeah she was like one of the casualties and then like ronan himself is starting to become unmade and wasn't neve unmade I was kind of confused. I think so, because I think she was, like, calling for help, and then Piper and the demon found her, and so she became a target. And Piper was unmade, ultimately, too, right? At the auction? I thought thought he shot, her dad shot her. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. I forgot. But I think Neve died. I think so, too. That's the thing, like, it's hard to, like, um, there's so much stuff going on, and none of it's brought to a conclusion that's that's explicitly clear. (laughs) Well, especially with so many characters. Like, I sort of feel like everything that happened with the adults, I'm like, yeah. how much did they know? Where are they at now? Like, I know the gray man's, like, trying to keep Henrietta safe, but is he still with Mora? Did her dad ever come out of the tree? No, oh, that's right. You He's know, like. The tree. <laughs> <laughs> that was another big reveal, right? So we found out that her dad is, like, a tree spirit or something. Mm-hmm. Tree light. I forget what they call Tree light. And so she's part tree light, and this is part of why <laughs> she is the way she is and doesn't quite fit in, but she also doesn't quite fit in with the tree lights or trees. So then right before Gainsey left, she, like, became a tree for a minute or joined a tree for a minute, right? Mm-hmm. Or was she just dreaming that? Because I thought she had Gainsey with her, and then all of a sudden Gainsey was, like, gone, and she had no idea. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't understand the tree stuff, honestly. <laughs> and then we never really, like, hear from Artemis again. He's yeah, just... he, he goes back in the tree. And that's the thing. It's like, it's, I don't know. I feel like in this book, anything's possible. So, like, when Neve was unmade, when Persephone died, I was like, are they coming back? That's entirely possible that they could. 
but well, I mean, it is kind of funny that the one person who they can't, who they did bring back is someone who chose to die to kill a demon. You would think that would be like the one that's like I don't know harder to do because it, <laughs> yeah, it was like back. yeah, like you're making like it seems like a backward sacrifice if you're like I'm gonna die for a minute. <laughs> And I was worried when Caves Water was, like, trying to remake Gainsey, because I was like, oh, God, what's this going to look like? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Also, Henry. Is that his name? Henry. I, like, don't know if I get Henry. <laughs> is he just, is he just like, a the latest? I guess not get him. I feel like I liked him as a character, but he became, like, so close to them so fast. Mm-hmm. And he also felt like he was just friends with Blue and Gainsey, not Ronan and Adam. And I felt like it was a little bit weird that he wasn't quite part of the gang, but he was, like, also part of, like, the inner circle. I don't know. I thought it was weird, too, because he almost, like, wakes up Gainsey in a way whenever he puts him in that hole in the last book or in the last half or Mm -hmm. the first half of the last book. And he, like, makes him confront his fear about wasps. But I wasn't sure if he was a good guy or a bad guy for a really long time because his mom was the one who was collecting all of the dream artifacts, and his mom specifically told him to, like, keep your eye on Gainsey. And so I kept waiting for him to turn on them. Yeah, or or be challenged by his mom and turn on her or something. Right, I kept waiting yeah. for him to, like, matter more than just a ride. <laughs> yeah, because everything, like, a lot of stuff that they brought up made made you think that he was going to be very important or, like, part of the climax. Well, even just being part of the inner circle, literally yeah. everyone in the inner circle had, like, a role to play. And then Henry just got to, like, tag along at the end and didn't really contribute much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Except he did have the Robobee. Yeah. I mean, I guess contribute much. He, he just kind of felt much more regular than everyone else, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. He felt tacked on. And I did like some of his characters. Like, I liked when he was talking about his inability to like put things into words and stuff because I've definitely felt that way before like thinking in mm-hmm. thoughts instead of words and there were other th- like I liked him as a character but I just didn't really get why he was there I don't know if that makes sense I agree and also like in that last scene when Gainsey and Henry are driving and they're following the birds I love that scene because they were like on this race to like follow the birds that they thought were gonna lead them to Glendor but I was like I was like, I don't want you to be doing this with Henry. Like, I want you to be I doing know. this with Rona or yeah. Adam or some blue, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I never felt like he even became friends with Ronan and Adam. So I was sort of like, you're not allowed to be here. <laughs> you can't sit with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. There was a couple, there was like, there were a bunch of things that kind of, I mean, I, I really liked this series, but there were just a few things that I thought could have been tied up better. I think I've said this multiple times throughout this series, and it's, I guess, even more true at the end. But mm-hmm. we were, like, jumping around so fast. I was super interested. There were, like, um, a lot of things that came out of nowhere, a lot of things that ended up connecting, but still a lot of random questions. That, yeah. Like, when you think about it, you're like, wait, that seemed important, but what happened? Or whatever. So it was just, it was cool, like, what connected and what didn't. And it just the way the story was told, I... Also, I'm, like, partially not sure if I missed things or if they really weren't there. (laughs) Yeah. But even, like, when Gainsey died and the demon presumably died and then Cabe's water was okay again, like, I feel like there wasn't any description about that. It was just Gainsey just 
died and then he woke up and then you just assumed that Caves Water was okay and that the demon was dead, but we didn't see any of that happen. Well, and I thought the demon had already like completely destroyed Caves Water. I thought like the last oldest, most resistant tree light had died. Oh, right, yeah. So I, so I was sort of like, what magic is left for this to like give up for Gainsey? Even if the demon is, even if the demon stops unmaking the forest, what is left <laughs> to make Gainsey? <laughs> yep. And I thought like maybe the wasps were going to come back in a way because like there was that whole side plot where Ronan was trying to dream up like a uh, like a skin for Gainsey to wear to protect him against the wasps. Remember? Uh-huh. Yep. And then that like never came into play. <laughs> I wonder if he's still allergic to bees. That's a good question. <laughs> I mean, I would say if you're going to be remade, maybe leave that part out. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I would appreciate that at least. I think one of the most interesting things is the way they all have this like kind of connection with the circular time. Like Blue grew up that way. And I guess now with the tree lightness in her that she's understanding, Noah's gone, I guess. But before he left, he also was a ghost and they said he experienced all moments like he time was no longer linear for him as a ghost Mm -hmm. adam had kind of touched into his psychicness so even without his caves water connection he was still had this like psychic view Mm -hmm. like the rest of blue's family and then because gainsey was remade with caves water like they said he got some of that too and you like i thought that was kind of a cool connection and again it's like but then what about henry he's just there yeah, he doesn't really. <laughs> Why is he part he of the really group? Fit into the mold. <laughs> He's got Robo B, but <laughs> that's it. Um, I really thought it was kind of interesting to see how Adam at the end. I mean, I I kind of wish we had more of like how people were doing after this quest. Like now that it's over, we get a little bit of that in the short story Opal. But the one thing we do see is Adam goes back to his parents and he confronts them and he's basically trying to see if, like, a relationship is possible with them. Mm-hmm. And that was just, like, one of the most disheartening scenes in the whole book because they clearly just don't want anything to do with him. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, how is this possible? It was just really sad and really confusing. And I was just like, I felt really bad for him. Yeah, especially his mom. Like, yeah. Even, yeah. Saying, oh, I want you to keep in touch or whatever. And him knowing that she won't answer the door pick up the phone (sighs) yeah that was really sad i didn't understand that but then we do get in opal a little bit of a glimpse of him and ronan and it seems like it seems like their relationship is still complicated but at least they're trying to be together and they have good days and bad days it seems yeah which kind of makes sense and i loved the perspective of that story being told from the orphan girl or opal as she's now yeah. named um and her kind of like being out of the dream world and into the real world and not understanding social cues or like caring about the specifics of what they're talking about and like kind of retelling mm-hmm. from her perspective what's going on and it was i thought it was a really interesting way to tell the story she's so funny i have a question about opal though yeah is who was the lady who came to the house oh that was gonna be my question for you too because <laughs> i have no idea I read a theory that um, Ronan's dad had, like, other children that they didn't Whoa. know about, and it was one of them. But I didn't know if we had any proof that his dad wasn't loyal to his mom. I couldn't remember if that was true. I know we know he was, like, a liar and, or, you know, like, kind of like a – like, I would buy it, but I also kind of thought that he 
loved the mom and mm-hmm. I don't know. yeah that makes more sense to me she's literally his dream girl <laughs> yeah literally <laughs> well i thought it maybe it was henry's mom oh interesting because she's you know still on the market for magical artifacts i'm guessing but didn't i say the woman had blue eyes like ronan oh maybe and she sees opal right like she looks up and sees opal but then nothing happens yeah so it's kind of like they introduced new loose ends that seem like it could, It seems like it could prolong the story a little bit which I actually kind of like because I sort of I mean I want like the major plot points to be resolved but I don't mm-hmm. like the idea that like a book ends and the characters lives become like routine nothing you know I mean like in some That's ways true. I like it but in other ways I'm like I want at least a hint of what's actually going on I don't know the selfish yeah. part of me just wants to know everything yeah, me too <laughs> but yeah that was I really liked that short story and I love Opal and how funny like she's restless because she has to be kept a secret you know she has these hooved legs that they have to hide all the time and I love how she's just completely like she has no shame she has no feelings of guilt and she just is like spying on Ronan and Adam all the time (laughs) and then like I love when she buried all of their plates out in the backyard oh yeah (laughs) she was mad at them She's she's a really funny character, I agree. She's great. And then I guess at the end, we're left with the idea that Ronan is trying to redream Caveswater, which I love. I love that they're yes. trying to rebuild it and make it better. Well, especially because they found out that, I mean, we found this out already, but that Caveswater was a dream invention of his in the first place. So it doesn't seem like a crazy thing to dream another one. I totally agree. But I thought it was weird how... He has that, like, tense call with Gainsey. Remember, like, she Opal overhears him talking to Gainsey, and then Ronan, like, doesn't really respond, and then he goes into his room and cries? Yeah. I didn't understand that. I don't, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things left unopened, or left open, because even, like, I was kind of surprised that, I don't know, Adam and Ronan, like, stayed behind, and Gainsey and Blue and Henry went on this road trip. <laughs> oh, and yeah. I don't know why I'm so, like, hating on Henry, but... <laughs> He's, like, third-wheeling along on this road trip. And in some ways it made sense because him and Blue were the ones who wanted to travel, and obviously Gainsey and Blue want to be together, and Ronan and Adam have their own thing going on and stuff. But they also, like, before Ronan and Adam got together, both Ronan and Adam were, like, obsessed with Gainsey and, right. like, super jealous if he hung out with other people even each other and even that I still like I like Ronan and Adam together but I still sort of am not sure if I understand when they mutually became so into each other I totally agree because it was like all of a sudden they were making out and I was like whoa whoa hold up when did this happen (laughs) (laughs) like we had hints that Ronan liked Adam and even that person I was like Wait, I thought the last book we thought he liked Gainsey and yada yada. And then Adam had like blue even earlier in that book. He still was yeah. like talking about her lips or something. And it's sort of how I felt with blue and Gainsey a little bit too. Like we had this whole prediction at least with them. But I sort of was like blue's not into Gainsey at all and seems to like Adam. And then all of a sudden she, she, she is in love with Gainsey. And, <laughs> but it also kind of reminds me of like teenagers kind of are like that, I guess, too. Yeah, I guess that's true. Not all teenagers all the time, but I mean, I think it's easy when you're young to like... Easily get infatuated. Yeah. Because there was like one moment, the only moment I recognized was Ronan was like admiring Adam's hands. And then that was it. 
And I was yeah. like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I definitely got, at least before the kiss, I knew Ronan had a crush on Adam or something. I didn't know where it came from, but all of a sudden it seemed very strong. And then mm-hmm. also... At one point, I thought Adam knew and intentionally wasn't reciprocating, and then all of a sudden, he kissed Ronan. Right. Or kissed right. Ronan back or whatever. Yeah. Because he has that conversation with Gainsey where he was like, how do I know it's not just a friend? Mm-hmm. Didn't he say that with Gainsey? Yeah. Yeah, he asked how Gainsey knew Blue was more than a friend because impl- – right. Yeah. And I-, I do really like Adam and Ronan together. I think they're good for each other, honestly. I do, too. Once it happened, I was, like, on board. I just didn't – know why it happened in the first place but then I was like I guess this works awesome let's go (laughs) although I was also nervous because they kept talking about Adam ruining Ron like I was we we saw that there's not it's not always rainbows and butterflies but we actually didn't see a lot of like the tension play out that I thought we could have seen with their two personalities and their two they have they have insecurities that don't necessarily meld well together so I could see them both frustrating each other a lot too i totally agree we see a little bit of that in opal like they have some tense moments together but i guess that's true it's just since we're seeing it from opal's perspective i felt a little bit distant from it which i thought was a cool way to hear the story but since we had been inside both of their brains in the series i was kind of curious what they were thinking more specifically so did you think of a fan name oh nope um nope (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I totally forgot. Um, the questers, quest seekers, the tree, the tree, li- tree lights. <laughs> I like quests. I was trying to think of like names for people who go on quests. Yeah. And the only thing that came up was heroes. So heroes go on on quests. But I feel like they're not heroes. Like or- I don't feel like we're heroes either. <laughs> yeah. Night horrors? <laughs> what about like quest seekers? I know it's not quest really seekers. like or something. Okay, like, I, feel I like that because like, both of those words, like seeking and quest, feel more in line with this world than hero. Oh, could we just be seekers? Ooh, I like that. Okay, because then it's like we're 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 seeking a lot of things in this book, <laughs> including answers to our lingering yep. questions. <laughs> okay, good. Whew, we did it. <sighs> Phew, that was stressful. Um, what else do we usually do at the end of a series? What would be your favorite scene in the whole series to see? Oof. Or should we just okay. do book four? Actually, I have I have one that okay. I loved. I really loved in, I don't remember what book it was in, when they go into the cave and there's all the animal skeletons. Oh, and yeah. Gainsey wakes up all the animal skeletons and then they ride them out of the cave. I love that. Yeah, that was a good scene. I think that was when they woke up Gwen Lee in. Yeah, so that was book three? Yeah. Yeah. Blue Lily, Lily Blue. <laughs> I still can't say it without well done. Like, you did thinking it. really hard. Yeah, that would be cool. I also think seeing something with the demon or oh, her dad yeah. going into a tree from specifically the fourth book would have been cool. Like the unmaking or the tree spirit stuff, I think, if I picked something from book four. Oh, okay. Specifically from book four, I think the whole scene of, like, Gainsey sacrificing himself and Noah fading away and, like, Caves Water refashioning Gainsey. I would love to see what that looks like. Yeah, that would be cool. It's also hard because I actually think movies do 
often don't capture those things as well as I want them to. So even though I'm like, I'd love to see it, I also know that those are the kind of scenes that would disappoint me the most. Yeah. Likely if I saw it on film. Even well, if they do it really well, just because it'll probably be different than what I imagine. And it is going to be made into a TV series we read. Oh, yeah. I forgot. That's awesome. When does that start? I don't know. I don't think it is even – I don't even think it's casted yet, but I am so curious to know who they're going to cast. Yeah. I mean, I can't think of anyone off the top of my head who I would really like to see in any of these roles, but I can't wait to see who they pick. Yeah. Because I don't even have – I mean, I have, like, in my mind a vague – idea of what I want the you know the fabulous four to look like five I guess if you include blue but I I don't six if you include him I don't know I feel like it could go so many ways yeah it could yeah I feel like they're they change a lot in my mind as I read different parts because mm-hmm. like Gainsey started out like to me looking like a preppy kind of entitled like yeah, yeah. Oh, that's another kind of loose end. So he bailed on his mom's campaign event. Oh, yeah. And he was like, oh, I should go fix things with my family. But instead, he just went and died. (laughs) I know. And I felt bad that he lost a whole day unintentionally. And like, he did feel really guilty about missing his mom's fundraiser. I did. But I feel like at at a minimum, you call your parents back before you die. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I agree. I mean, that was... That could have been handled better. <laughs> Ooh, oh, I have an idea for who could play Gainsey. Okay, who? I'm not going to know who it is. I, Go I, have you seen Riverdale? <laughs> yes. Okay, I think the guy who plays Archie could be Gainsey. Okay, but with not orange hair? Yeah. I'm thinking maybe more of like a dusty brown. Okay, I could maybe see it. <laughs> but now I'm picturing like all of them. I'm like, Ronan is... Uh, Jughead and (laughs) (laughs) I could see that too actually (laughs) it's hard for me to like distinguish individual actors when I know them as a character sometimes it's hard for me to like think of them outside of the character world (laughs) yeah I totally agree they're the right age though at least yeah that's true um so what would we rate this series overall how would we rate it out of how many rate how many sleepers how many sleepers <laughs> on the ley line <laughs> uh okay one one to ten sleepers <laughs> and sleepers are a good thing in this case right right okay there's yeah i think i'd give it an eight. Oh, i was gonna say eight too that's good which is like one of the highest rated series we've had so far this season i think i don't know like what about it because there were still things like i I don't think it's for everyone, and I didn't love it to the point where I'd be like, everyone needs to read this, but I loved how unique it was. Mm-hmm. I loved, it was like easy to read, not in a like written for dumb people, but like I got really into it really quickly. Mm-hmm. I thought the, some of the language and word choices were really clever. Like there just were certain things that were captured really well, and then it was just so different and so interesting in that sense. I agree with everything you just said. I think the best thing about the book for me was that it was so unexpected and it was so unlike every other YA book that we've read. And it's like 
none of it was anticipated. Like, none of it was cliche. None of it was really tropey. Like, I couldn't foresee what was going to happen at all. Like, I feel like in so many other books, you're kind of like, okay, I know what's going to happen. Like, I just have to wait for it to play out. But in this book, like, I honestly had no idea, for the most part, what was going to happen. Everything was, like you said, extremely unique, and the twists were really refreshing. And also, I loved the humor in this book. This book was laugh-out-loud funny at sometimes. Yeah. And that's, like, something that is so hard to do as a writer, I think. So I, I really admired the author for how she was able to incorporate humor in a way that was, like, not forced. It felt it felt wonderful. It felt like really organic and really, it was just really well done. And I think um, you've talked about this in a few series we've read. You've gotten sick of like, we need to save the whole world. Mm -hmm. So I kind of liked how this one was, it was like very high stakes on the one hand, like life or death and their little corner of the world was at risk or whatever. But it also felt very much like these are just some kids living in a small town in Virginia. And this is like, exactly. Yeah. And I love small town stories too. Yeah. And I just like when I can be surprised by a book. And this book surprised me in very many ways in, in a very good way. Yeah. I'm curious to read more by Maggie Stiefvater because it was such a unique writing style. I'm I, I'm curious to see if her other books are kind of written similarly or, you know, I just I'm excited about her as a writer. Me too. And I know she has other series out there, so yeah. Yeah, I have the um, I have the Scorpio Races, actually. I just got it from the library, so I'm going to read that next. Awesome. Um, so did you do any research this week? So I did. I looked up a couple of things, but I got into this whole thing about interesting stuff that happens at auctions, Ooh. because there's that one scene where Piper's trying to auction off the demon, and yeah. everyone feels like so uncomfortable, and I was like... <laughs> Auctioning off a demon is such a weird thing to auction off. And so I, I read 20 interesting facts about eBay and then also some, <laughs> some interesting things that have been auctioned off before. So let's see. What are some good things? So the first item that was ever sold on eBay was a broken laser pointer. <laughs> Who would buy that? The buyer said that they were, quote, a collector of broken laser pointers, unquote. No. <laughs> and it sold for 970 I think it's pounds. I think this is a British article. Wait, how many? Nine dollars. Seventy. Nine point oh. okay. seventy. Sorry. Like, okay. If it were dollar, if that were a dollar sign, it would be nine dollars and seventy cents. But I don't remember how pounds work. The most expensive thing that ever sold on eBay was a giga yacht. Whoa. Designed by Frank Mulder. It was bought by a Russian billionaire who owns Roman Abramovich. Okay. Oh, no, that's the name of the guy. Roman Abramovic is the name of the guy who bought it for 110 million pounds. Oh, my God. No. It was a 405-foot steel yacht with a helicopter pad, a gym, a spa, a cinema. And the first bid on this item, guess how much it was? I can't. I, I don't know. 6.5. Uh, oh, my God. Pounds. Okay. So, like, it's just because eBay, you know, you it just keeps growing or, or what, you know, like it can start wherever. So if yeah. no one had noticed, would that have sold for 6.5 pounds? Wow. 241 million pairs of shoes have been sold on eBay since 2007. Huh. Okay. And this article, what is this article from? This is 2016. So it's a couple years old. So even more than that have probably been sold now. In a couple of cases, entire towns have been auctioned on eBay. <laughs> So, off a town. I don't know the logistics <laughs> of this, but in 2003, a tiny hamlet 
called Bridgeville in California, which has had 29 residents, sold for 1.2 million pounds. And Albert, Texas, which is an uninhabited ghost town, <laughs> sold for over 1.6 million pounds in 2007. So the town sold for less than the yacht. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would, I, if I was wealthy, I would totally buy a town. Okay, this is my idea. I'm going to buy a town and I'm going to fill it with puppies. <laughs> That's awesome, actually. I'd go there. Um, I guess in 2006, some Australian person tried to sell New Zealand. Uh, the but, whole yeah, country? Yeah. It, it obviously got pulled. Yeah. And the foreign minister, Winston Peters, said the whole thing was nonsensical stupidity. Yep. That sounds about right. <laughs> Have you ever sold anything on eBay? I haven't. I haven't. I think James has. Whenever I like needs he has an eBay account at least. Whenever I need something on eBay, I just have him buy it for me. I always think about like selling dresses and stuff that I've never worn, but I just can't be bothered. I guess <laughs> I never get farther than like typing in eBay, and then I'm like, ah, eh, maybe not. As soon as they're like, upload your pictures, I'm like, oh god. Um, here are some other funny things. A decade-old toasted cheese sandwich with the image of the Virgin <laughs> Mary sold in 2004 for eighteen thousand pounds. The seller claimed the sandwich had never gone moldy and brought her luck. No. No. Wait, the face of the Virgin Mary was in this sandwich? Yeah. There's a picture of it. I'll send it to you later. I I could kind of see it in the same way that people, we read this somewhere or we researched this somewhere. People like to see faces and things, right? Yeah. Yeah. That's true. But yeah, and supposedly it was a 10-year-old sandwich that hadn't gone cheese sandwich. (laughs) So. (laughs) That is a miracle. You'd think, though, that like if miracles really did happen, like... It would be in a better form than a toasted cheese sandwich, right? Like there are better miracles out there to perform than like not letting mold grow on bread. (laughs) She did win $45,000 at a local casino that she says was a result of the Virgin Mary grilled cheese. So so there's that. (laughs) This 27-year-old medical student in the U.S. named Elizabeth Rain auctioned off her virginity in May of 2015 The deal included a 12-hour date, but the bidding stopped when she withdrew. It it was at 500,000 pounds, and she withdrew the offer to focus on her studies. How old was she? She was 27. That's very um, big little lies. Yeah, I know. That's exactly what I thought of, too. I'm glad she withdrew it. I know. Me, too. Uh, This 10-year-old named Zoe Pemberton tried to put her cuddly but annoying grandmother up for sale in 2010 <laughs> the site shut down the auction of 61 year old marion goodall uh after it reached twenty thousand pounds apparently people were bidding on her oh my gosh i just love the description cuddly but annoying <laughs> she gonna make me cookies <laughs> yeah right the leicestershire police became the first UK force to sell goods seized from criminals on eBay in 2009, and they raised over a million pounds. So they auctioned off like an Aston Martin, a Diamond Rolex, a bunch of stuff like that, and made some money. I feel like all these stories are happening in the UK. They must really like eBay. This article is from the UK, so it's a little (laughs) bit focused on that. Chart-topping singer James Blunt introduced his sister to her husband through eBay. Oh. So I guess he listed for sale a damsel in distress who needed transportation to a funeral in Ireland. And the the now husband, Guy Harrison, offered to fly her in his helicopter, and the pair got married three years later. She put that up for auction? Like, 
James Blunt apparently put it up for auction for his sister to get a ride to the funeral. That's so strange. I know. I mean, I guess, yeah, I guess you can auction off things that aren't really physical things, like experiences. I don't know why you'd want to drive someone to, like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) These are not eBay specific, but here are some other kind of interesting things that went up for auction in... 2013. These are the weirdest okay. and rarest items on the auction block in 2013. I thought you would like this one. A 65-year-old <laughs> slice of royal wedding cake. <gasps> oh, was it moldy though? <laughs> they did. It was fruit cake. Okay. It was the one in the 1947 wedding of Queen Elizabeth II and the Duke of Edinburgh. Oh my goodness. It sold for $925. I feel like Whoa. I would have actually expected more. Well, just one piece of wedding cake. It wasn't like the whole cake, right? That, that's true. What would you even do with it, though? Just like put it in a bell jar and just like keep it on your counter for forever? I don't I would ask you. I feel like of all the people I know who are most likely to buy a piece of royal wedding cake. <laughs> it would be me. I would pick you. <laughs> I could just add it to my shrine that's dedicated to the royal family. <laughs> this law school dropout who had a bunch of debt auctioned away his name on eBay what his name so he was allowing the winning bidder to legally rename him for two years he, so he said if you want a, my first name to be bob supermarket and my last name to be dot com i'm cool with it and no. what did they pick i don't actually know so i i know the bidding started at seventy five thousand. i feel like i should follow this through i'll, I'll click a link and see what comes up oh, i there. really want to know what his name was i know i mean they should have he should have learned his lesson based off of like the crowdsourcing results that happened in England. It's like Bodie McBoat face. I know. <laughs> like that whole debacle. Do you hear about that? Wait, I don't I don't remember. There was like a scientific ship that they built that was like it was like a ship dedicated to scientific innovation and discovery. It was gonna be like a floating laboratory or something. And they crowdsourced country to be like what should we name this boat and and people were like oh name it like the charles darwin or like you know that people were coming up with great names and then someone put forth Bodie mcboatface <laughs> i think i did hear this actually i just totally forgot <laughs> as the name and that one won <laughs> i would totally have voted for that that is great the last thing i saw was no one had bid on changing his name yet which is also kind of interesting but i think he put it up for a lot of money so no one voted on what? For changing his The last oh, no article one, I could okay. find about it was that no one had bid on it. Oh, we should totally do it. <laughs> there was a scrap of tape that went for auction. It was apparent. Supposedly it was used by performance artist Marina Abramovic. I don't even know who that is. Apparently she's Lady Gaga's artsy friend. Oh. <laughs> it's from her The Artist is Present exhibition. It's just a piece of trash from that. And it sold oh, for over $200. <laughs> I'm sorry, but, like, that's... People do weird stuff, man. People do weird stuff, but also, like, get your ego out of there. Like, no one wants to... Like, it's always, like, when you see... When you go to concerts and people are like, oh, here's my water bottle, and they, like, throw it in the audience, and people, like, faint. I'm like, no one wants your piece of trash. Like, don't throw trash <laughs> at me. I don't care who you are. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> that irritates me. I guess... I don't even know how this happened either, but 32 pieces that had once been submitted as evidence to special prosecutor Kenneth Starr during his investigation of Bill Clinton and Monica Lewinsky's Mm. stuff went up for sale, including like a floor-length black negligee belonging to the White House intern and a bunch of other like lingerie and stuff. And it sold. But how are they, if it was evidence, how are they allowed to auction it? I don't know how these things work, but. I don't either. It doesn't sound legal though. They thought it would be 
$50,000 in total for this whole collection, but it was just over $12,000 instead. Damn. Ugh, I would hate to think of the person who bought that. The scumbag. Yeah. There's a 200-year-old taxidermy ostrich mm. that cost $33,150. Where would you put that now? I'm, tr- I'm looking at my small apartment. <laughs> oh, I've got, I've got a house with some rooms I don't know how to fill, so I could... <gasps> Just to get in the entryway. (laughs) Taxidermy animals. There you go. There's a Picasso painting he made in 1914 called Man in the Opera Hat that's worth over a million dollars. But there was a charity event in Paris and you just needed like a raffle ticket. The raffle tickets cost $138 to be entered into a raffle to win this Picasso painting. So this 25-year-old man from Pennsylvania named Jeffrey Ganano has a Picasso painting that he won for $138. That's amazing. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that's awesome. But what's to stop him from like selling it again for like a lot of money? I mean, he he should, and he may have. <laughs> if I was 25 and I lived in the apartment I lived in when I was 25, I wouldn't even have anywhere to put a Picasso painting if I wanted to. It would look very out of place next <laughs> to my like dumb posters of, God, I don't even want to know, Taylor Swift. <laughs> Literally all my walls were covered in bookshelves because I didn't have that many walls in the first place. So yeah. <laughs> anyways, that's, that was some of the fun stuff I researched. That's awesome. What about you? Um, so I did some research about Owen Glendor. Okay. Because I, we got to the end of the series and I realized like I really don't know anything about this king. <laughs> <laughs> so I fully recognize I probably should have done this in book one, but better late than ever, I guess. I think we thought... Gainsy would tell us stuff and he yeah did a little bit but I thought we would learn more as the book went on so when we didn't I was like well I will do this research for myself then <laughs> so Owen Glendor was a Welsh ruler and okay. he was the last native Welshman to hold the title Prince of Wales which was like pretty much a self-appointed title that he gave himself but he is I love people who self-appoint them as royalty and I don't know why I haven't done it yet Oh, we could. I know. Wait, didn't we try that? Didn't we, like, give ourselves royal names during the royal wedding? Oh, that's true. But, I mean, I want to pronounce myself, like, queen of the universe or something, because why not? Go big or go home. Go big or go home. responsibility. I don't know. (laughs) I'm not ready to do it yet. I'm going to think about it some more. Okay. (laughs) I'll be the, like, the emperor of one of the small towns that I buy off eBay. (laughs) That'll be enough for me. Emperor of this block. Cubby town. (laughs) (laughs) so glender was born in 1354 and he um was apparently a descendant from the ruling princes of wales including uh llewellyn the great and he served the english crown uh for a little bit against the scots and this is kind of funny so i guess he was famous for wearing a scarlet flamingo feather in his crest oh that's kind of cool which, yeah, but also, like, I was doing this research and I was trying to find out why he was called the Raven King and I couldn't find anything. Also, so I don't know where that came from. Are there flamingos in Wales? I, I, I no. <laughs> I'm sure there weren't back then. <laughs> Last I checked, I didn't think so, but. Maybe I should double check my source. <laughs> it's not something I typically. So know. he married um, a woman named Margaret Hanmer and fathered five sons and four daughters. There's a question that he may have had a fifth daughter. And he also had illegitimate children, as we learned in this book. And they were David, Gwenlian, Lewin, and Maifinwi. I'm sure that's not correct. I apologize. So then, this is interesting. In 1400, when he was 50 years old, he organized a rebellion against the English king, King Henry IV. 
and he claimed the title Prince of Wales. So I thought this was amazing. Like he was 50 when he led this uprising. Which that is amazing. Yeah. I love that because I was like, oh, there's still time for me to do something awesome. I'm only 33. <laughs> uh, so he like immediately became this, like this symbol of rebellion. And he led a war of independence against the English to try and end English rule in Wales. And people immediately joined joined with him and the uprising, you know, gained strength and it became a, a battle for Welsh independence. Okay. And so a lot of Welsh people saw him as a leader that they had been looking for. A lot of people like abandoned what they were doing and rallied behind him. And this is kind of interesting. In 1402, there was a comet where we talked about comets being portents last week. Mm -hmm. Um, There was a sighting of a great comet in the sky that was taken by Glendor's followers to be a sign of victory. And they ended up capturing one of his enemies and released him on a ransom for a lot of money. Uh, So it was things were looking good. Uh Um, And then he continued to fight the English, but then during the battle at Woodbury Hill near Worcester in 1405, he had to retreat back to Wales. And from then, following that defeat one by one, all of his castles had to be surrendered. Basically, the fight for independence was quickly quelled by the English. He just had better resources, and the rebellion was pretty much squashed. (laughs) Squash one, squashed. (laughs) (laughs) That song has been stuck in my head all week. I really like it, actually. I love it. But, like, I, but I like it until it's, like, 3 in the morning and I can't go to bed because I'm squ- singing the Squash Murder song in my head like a crazy person. Which I actually feel like it's what was happening to our Raven Boy group. So that's appropriate. <laughs> um, okay, so all of Owen's castles were surrendered to the English. His wife and children were captured. And by 1410, he had become an outlaw, essentially, and was leading, like, guerrilla attempts to try and continue this rebellion, but it was clearly not going to happen. So the interesting thing, though, is he retreated, and he went into hiding, and he was never seen again. So okay, hmm. there was the English were offering a lot of rewards for his capture, but his place of hiding remains a mystery to this day, and no one knows where he went. He's under a hornet's nest in Virginia, everybody. He's in Henrietta, Virginia. (laughs) (laughs) So I think it's pretty interesting, though, because, I mean, he is a symbol, like the Welsh, in in Wales, he is a symbol of, uh, a symbol against oppression, and he's a Welsh hero, a national hero. And there's a legend uh, in Wales that says, if Wales is ever threatened again, he will rise from wherever he's hiding, and he will lead the defense of Wales to um, free the people from oppression. I love it. I love I know. the connections to this book. I'm always so curious. Like, I want to ask Maggie, as I call her, her first name <laughs> basis, all kinds of questions about, you know, if she knew about him first, like, where, where the story started or how. Yeah. What inspired her? Exactly. I mean, I love it that it's not like another King Arthur story, you know, yeah. because that is the king that everyone thinks of. But I mean, this is a really fascinating story as well and doesn't get a lot of attention. So I love that she centered it around this story. And that's what I loved about Gainsey, too, was that he had picked like this obscure-ish king to like yeah. become obsessed with. Agreed. So yeah, that was my research. <laughs> like it. Awesome. Cool. So this is our last recording of the year. 
at least book wise except for yeah, yeah at least book wise we'll do a season recap like we always do <laughs> like we did one other time <laughs> like that one year always <laughs> technically both are true but next year we are going to be starting a whole different collection of YA series that we're really excited about um should we talk about the first series we're going to do in the new year yeah so we will be reading the series is called villains it's a duology by V.E. Schwab, who, if you followed along, will recall, wrote A Darker Shade of Magic, that series that we read. Yep. And her first book is called Vicious, and her second book is in the series is called Vengeful, which just came out this past September, so it's pretty new. And um, I can read a little bit about Vicious. Well, and can I just say one more thing about Vengeful? It just won the Goodreads 10th Annual Choice Award for the Science Fiction Award. And I think it was her, she's been a nominee multiple, multiple years, but it's the first time she's won. That's awesome. So it's, it's kind of a big deal. Yeah, that's a huge and deal. It makes me extra excited. Yeah. Good for her. Yeah, I was reading her interview about it because, I mean, I, I knew her from the other series and it was really cute. So you guys should go check it out. I'm so glad for her. She deserves yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, so this is what we can expect from... The first book in the series, Vicious. Victor and Eli started out as college roommates, brilliant, arrogant, lonely boys who recognized the same sharpness and ambition in each other. In their senior year, a shared research interest in adrenaline, near-death experiences, and seemingly supernatural events reveals an intriguing possibility that under the right conditions, someone could develop extraordinary abilities. But when their thesis moves from the academic to the experimental, things go horribly wrong. Ten years later, Victor breaks out of prison, determined to catch up to his old friend, now foe, aided by a young girl whose reserved nature obscures a stunning ability. Meanwhile, Eli is on a mission to eradicate every other superpowered person that he can find, aside from his sidekick, enigmatic woman with an unbreakable will. Armed with terrible power on both sides, driven by the memory of betrayal and loss, the arch nemesis have set a course for revenge, but who will be left alive at the end? I love a good arch nemesis story. Oh, me too. This will be good, I think. And I love friends turned foes. Yeah, because they've got all that history and yeah. like know each other. and Yeah. This sounds great. Okay. I'm excited. Oh, we have to wait so long to read it, though. I know. Well, the holidays will be busy. That's true. We don't, we don't have to wait. I mean, everyone else doesn't have to wait that long. By the time we post this episode, it'll only be like two weeks or three weeks or something. That's true, I guess. And next week is Christmas. I know. If we're, if you're listening. (laughs) If you're listening and if you celebrate, happy Christmas. Um, Do you have a joke for me this week? Or is it my turn? I don't remember. I think it's mine. Okay. What did the digital clock say to the grandfather clock? The digital clock said, look, grandpa, no hands. (laughs) (laughs) That's cute. (laughs) I like that. <laughs> it's silly. I should have come uh, up with like a, I don't know, something related to the book or the time of year or whatever, but I didn't. Oh, the, I just saw a Christmas joke, actually. Okay. Did you hear about the Viking Rudolph the Red? No. He looked outside and proclaimed it was going to rain. His wife asked, what makes you say that? <laughs> he said, because Rudolph the Red knows rain, dear. <laughs> it's so dumb. <laughs> so dumb why does he a viking i understand this because they oh because vikings are named like something like like that i guess owen the brave and (laughs) rudolph (laughs) okay (laughs) 
I, I love things like that. I could just see myself or my dad sitting around like playing with <laughs> words like that. So Mine too. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. And we're also on Facebook or Instagram at mnktalkya. We would love to hear from you. And we will talk to you in our finale recap of the season, which should be fun. And we'll talk about all the numbers. I like talking about the statistics of pages read and everything, but also just some fun reflection. And otherwise, we'll see you guys next year. See you later. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.